What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the program a man who is pretty much an unofficial co-host of Two White Lights at this point, Garrett Fear, to recap the Kern U.S. Open that took place this past weekend. Garrett commentated both days of the meet, so I couldn't think of a better person to have on Two White Lights to help me recap both days. Uh, Garrett always provides terrific insight and is, of course, extremely passionate about the sport. And this meet was fantastic. We saw some huge performances from so many different lifters. We saw some world records being broken. We saw some upsets. We saw some lifters going out and doing what they do best. We discuss all the action that took place on both days. Now, it's a little bit split this episode because Garrett had to commentate, then recap on Saturday, then he did the same exact thing on Sunday. So we go through day one and day two separately, and for day one, we of course talk about Chad Penson taking it all, winning that $25,000, putting together this incredible performance that some will call an upset. On Two White Lights, we don't call it an upset because we had all the faith in the world uh, for Chad Penson, LMAO, and the other performances that took place on day one, of course, John Hack and Den Bell were thrown in there. And we also got through some other lifters who competed. Then day two, we discussed all the action that took place. Uh, we discussed first Gerald uh, Dionio's uh, controversial weigh-ins that got him disqualified from the meet. Uh, we give our opinions and takes on that. Garrett takes us through what exactly happened that led to the disqualification. Uh, but we also talked about the performances, most importantly the performances, where Mariana Gasparin ended up winning Best Female Lifter. She took home the money. Hunter Henderson, amazing performance. That's all she does is just turn out amazing performances. Uh, Blake LeHue, breaking out of his shell and turning in an all-time performance. We talked about that and tons of other lifters. That's what happens on these types of meets where there's so many amazing lifters that it's hard to really talk about every single one, and so many of them deserve a spotlight, and we did our best to make sure uh, each lifter got the spotlight they deserve on this episode because it was a terrific weekend of massive lifts. Thank you again for Garrett Fear for taking time out of his schedule to give this recap, but before we get into our Kern U.S. Open recap, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, visit them on Instagram, follow them on Instagram, and get some Leflar Bros merch. I cannot stress to you enough how much I love all of the designs that they are coming out with. They keep on evolving. They keep on coming up with fresh new merch. They don't stop. They're not one of this, these companies that just gives one or two generic designs. They keep them coming and they are dedicated to helping the sport of powerlifting and getting involved in powerlifting and making sure they are releasing designs that relate to strength sports in some way. So make sure you are on leftflowbros.com, following on Instagram to check out the different designs they have. They also got those comp tees that you guys know I love. I think they're the best comp tees in the game right now. Go on leftflowbros.com, get yourself some merch, and use promo code 2WL15 at checkout. That promo code is, in my opinion, the best powerlifting discount code out there. Best powerlifting code out there, promo code 2WL15 at checkout. Save yourself some money, and you can get two white lights merchandise only on leftlarbros.com. 
So any Two White Lights merch is going to be on Left Flare Bros. They just released the top rope design for Two White Lights, and I love it. It's so awesome. It's got the WWF Attitude Era feel to it. They also got the Fight Night T, the original T. Use that same promo code 2WL15 to save yourself some money on Two White Lights merchandise and, of course, Left Flare Bros merchandise as well. Also, check out Rivalist.net. And get yourself some supplements. Rivalist has some amazing supplements that go from pre-workout to protein to branching amino acids. And they are in-form choice supplements. They got that label on there. And we have a lot of USAPL listeners. And you don't want to break a drug test. So informed choice label is going to be important. Because those don't have banned substances. That could potentially earn you a little bit of suspension or banned from the USAPL because they are still testing at the local level, people. Non-compliance with the IPF. They ain't doing it, so they're still testing. Make sure you get some informed choice supplements. Also, go to lift.net and get yourself some stoic gear. I wear stoic gear in the gym and on the platform, and the reason why is because they have the best powerlifting gear out on the market right now. I love the knee sleeves, the singlet, the wrist wraps. I only wear stoic gear, and... You can save yourself some money if you use promo code ANGELO10 at checkout to save yourself 10% on Stoic Gear. Also, check out Notorious Lift No Slip Trip Slippers. Follow them on Instagram and sign up for that newsletter because here's what happens. People think you can just go on Notorious Lift and buy whatever you want at all times, and that's just not the case. You've got to look out for those drops, and they release so many different color waves they release so many different designs that those things sell out so quick, and that's why you got to get on it fast. They sell out like hotcakes. It's like the Arnold registration, uh, 2021 Raw Nationals registration. They sell out very fast, so make sure you sign up for the newsletter because you're going to miss out on a design or a color that matches your gym attire or your platform attire, and you're going to be disappointed, and I'll, be hate, I'll hate it if you're disappointed. It'll be a disappointment to me, so don't miss out on those drops. Make sure you're following them on Instagram and check out their designs. Also, make sure you are following us on Spotify. We're available on that platform and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and subscribe on there as well. And of course, we are available on 2 so you can listen to us on those three platforms. And without further ado, here it is, two white lights. Oh, baby, I like it, bro. Yeah, baby, I like it, bro. Oh, baby, I like it, bro. Baby, I like it, bro. Shimmy, shimmy, y'all, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take her away. Off on the natural charge, bomb for y'all. And as promised, we got a Kern U.S. Open recap with the man commentating all the action. You guys heard him for days one. We're going to do day two tomorrow. Garrett Fear, how are you, man? Dude, I'm good. I'm tired. I feel pretty good about how things went today. All in all, overall good day. Uh, Yeah, like I said, man, I, I feel great. Getting to commentate was awesome. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't get to hear the day one commentary, which upsets me because I appreciate good commentary. 
I like commentary. I like a professional, de professionally developed powerlifting meet, and I think we're getting there. Um, how was your commentary debut? Um, I think I did all right, man. Uh, I give myself a good, we'll call it a 6.6 .6 out of 10, maybe a 7, depending on how you're really looking at it. Um, I think I, I should have on the first day at least um, interacted a little bit less with the YouTube chat. Uh, I, like it, we all know how toxic it is, um, but you know, not having a, a commentator to partner with me um, did make it a little bit hard to keep the airways filled. Um, while you could still hear some of the background music at the meet uh, and hear some of the stuff that was going on on the platform, we didn't have the videographer mic'd up or anything, so you know that could have changed things a little bit. But um, you know, not having a, a partner to commentate with, I decided to go ahead and uh, interact with some of the YouTube chats which I think in a lot of ways was a good thing, but you kind of got to pick and choose your battles and interactions. And uh, I didn't always choose the absolute best. So obviously hoping to improve on that tomorrow. And then again, for the showdown come September. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just, uh, I mean, I, I've, I have the same amount of meat commentaries as you. Uh, one, thank you for that, <laughs> by the way, because that was, that was because of you. But um, I have the same amount and yeah, I, I could totally... And just looking at how their live streams go, the chat can be toxic. Occasionally, there's a good question or two. There's a good debate going on in the chat. But then there's just a lot of dumb shit in there that you just don't want to get involved in. And you know what I think right now with powerlifting? This is what happens. You see a live stream. You see this amazing meet. And then you have people nitpicking it. And I, I think Two White Lights is guilty of that too occasionally. But it's what I saw today from the live stream was a really good product. There's things I would have changed, but how much do we really want to nitpick it, you know? It's just right. nitpicks to make it a little bit better for the future. Um, I love the presentation of it. I love that they got a knowledgeable, colorful person on the mic that's always a plus <laughs> for powerlifting. Because people want to hear you talk. People want to hear your insight. They know you give good insight and they know they're entertaining. That's what a commentator is for professional sports. They're all of those things. They understand the sport also. They're entertaining. Like, imagine if someone was super monotone and gave you really good baseball statistics during a baseball game. People would kind of tune it out. But when you balance that with a good sense of entertainment value in it, you get a fantastic commentary. So um, I will say this for the live stream, though. I, I, I know uh, you have no power over this, but we got to get the ticker of the attempt selection. Absolutely. That absolutely. is huge. So, like I was, I was at the gym and I couldn't hear the commentary. Um, I love your voice, Garrett, but I didn't want to put it on the speakers over at certain <laughs> certain new levels during during rush hour. That would have been uh, maybe a little bit problematic for everyone at the gym. Like, hey, man, we kind of just want to listen to music, but I didn't get the attempt selections and what attempts they were on. So I was just kind of trying to guess how much weight was on the bar and yeah. like that. That's something that I think actually the untested side of powerlifting. Some of those meets, we you guys got to get on lifting cast. I agree. I agree. I, uh, the reason we don't use lifting cast is because of the difference in softwares from Fed to Fed. Something that a lot of people don't know is like the Feds kind of use their software in a very political manner. Uh, you know, the USAPL is uh, you know really really driven on using the lifting cast. Uh, uh, the USPA uses um, a different lifting software and the WRPF uses a different lifting software. One's, one is, you know, internet-based. The other two are actual, or one's internet-based. 
two are internet-based, and one is actual downloadable software. And then, you know, the beauty of lifting cast in the USAPL is you can actively, anybody can go and actively look at the running score, the running yeah. totals, anything. Um, whereas at USPA meets using our lifting software, uh, you know, when that's, pr- when that's presented in a live stream, that's actually essentially just a screen capture from the score, scorekeeping tables monitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the issue that we have with that today is the scorekeeper, the, the expediting table, the table, uh, had to be a little bit behind the curtain, actually behind the platform where the live stream uh, tech table was uh, pretty far removed from that. There was no way to run like an HDMI table or splitter that far. So it was hard to actually make that happen today. We're hoping that, you know, we can move the table tonight uh, and be able to present that on the live stream tomorrow. But then, you know, there's also the issue of 8-Man is using a a very good program, but a a different live stream program. I'm not sure if they know how to do that. Um, You know, some people use OBS, they use like a Streamlabs type thing. Uh, you know, there's 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 different software and programs for live streams. So, you know, it's another just another thing in powerlifting that needs to have a more attached uniformity to it is, you know, how we go about presenting these live streams. There's companies out there doing that now specifically for live streams. It's getting better and better and better. I'm really excited about all of it. But I do 100% agree with you in that we need to have the ticker there. Um, I made sure to verbalize a lot, but I said the same thing on the actual live stream today is like, I feel bad for any of our, any of our listeners or our viewers who can't listen to the live stream mm-hmm. um, and hear the actual attempt selection. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to get better and better every year. It's been getting better ever, getting better and better every year. Uh, you know, I'm still generally very excited and very positive about what the future holds. Yeah, and the reason why I bring this up, I'm, I'm not bringing it just on a visual standpoint, but the reason why I bring it up is because there was a battle on our hands today, and I really wanted to see who was ahead because I had an idea what was going on uh, between the three lifters, and the ones I'm referring to is uh, John Hack, Dan Bell, and Chad Penson. I think those are the highlights of day one. Of course, there was great lifts going throughout the day. But that was who I was focusing on going in because I knew those were the best three lifters and potentially the lifters who are going to win the entire meet, um, including the lightweight males. And when I saw after the third squats, Chad going three for three, I was like, all right, who's in front? Who's behind? What do they need to pull in order to you know pull ahead? Uh, how is it stacking up on dots and wilks? So all that, and I was trying to piece it together as I was going, but that's the reason why the ticker is so important is so we can get those that match up and you know let's just go into it because we were we were talking about the live stream but this lift this meet was incredible as far as the lifters who were trying to win it um and some would call it an upset we're going to discuss it but Chad Penson our guy, two white lights guy. He, you know, he was on the program. I'm good friends with him. I love the dude. Ended up winning, and I don't think anyone really had him winning a meet where John Hack and Dan Bell are competing at, or had you know the. I think a lot of people knew it was a possibility, but nobody thought it was probable. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of widely accepted. It was widely accepted that um, you know more than likely. Uh, Dan was going to win. John was going to have a close second, and Chad would be a close 
uh, slightly behind third. Now, a lot of people did say, uh, and I even said to John and Chad individually, that in order for Chad to beat John specifically, Chad would have to have a very solid day hitting the majority of his lifts, and uh, John and Dan would have to definitely miss a couple of their lifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that ended up being what happened. It was awesome to see. I did not by any means expect Chad to win by a 10-point Wilkes margin, a 642 Wilkes, just absolutely unreal. Didn't expect that whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, that's, I believe, the second highest Wilkes of all time from a man, from a male, uh, Yuri Belkin being the highest. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty wild to think about. Um, you know, he beat Dan Bell, Dan had like a 632. And I want to say John had a 614 or 619. It was somewhere in there. But, I, I, you know, by the third polls, it, it still could have been anybody's game on the third polls. Uh, and I, I believe all three of them missed their third poll. Yeah. I believe all three of them. But no, Chad may have gotten 804. I don't. I don't remember anything. He had. Uh, he got a second attempt. Actually, what happened at Surge was the live stream cut out as he was doing his, and that's that wasn't uh, the live stream on your side. That was our Wi-Fi connection. But um, it cut out as soon as he was pulling, and then all I see is Chad like trying to get the cobwebs back and shake off the yeah. cobwebs of like because I think he almost fainted. But I didn't know what happened because I just see everyone like kind of talking to him like. What I didn't get to see the pull at all, um, but I did get to see his first two pulls, and yeah, he did end up getting 804 on that second 804, pull. 804, yeah. Yeah, he did, he did end up getting uh, that 804 pull, and really, man, I would agree with you. I love Chad, but I would not have expected him to win by a 10-point margin, and really, you know, he was on the show, he said, I mean, he said almost the same thing as you. Dan Bell is the favorite. He's like, people thinking, he's like, John Hack has his massive fan base. Yes. People thinking that John Hack's is going to walk into the current and win over Dan Bell is insanity. He was just like, Dan Bell is the favorite. He is the guy to beat yeah, at absolutely. the current. And he's like, I don't know. If I could hit my squats, because that's what I got on John, is a big squat, and I could hit my other lifts, it's a battle between me and John. But he was even saying, like, this is Dan Bell's ball game here. Absolutely. And and kind of talking about a little bit of a just like a fun little statistic from this contest, uh, I think I think uh isn't gonna be talked about much. It's something I think is really cool. Just like at the hybrid showdown, Dan actually again uh had the heaviest subtotal of all time. Which is something really crazy to think about. Yeah. That Dan's subtotal was a five oh five squat. Uh, 1,113 pounds, a 275 kilo, 606 bench, 275, 505, what is that, like a 780, 780 kilo subtotal? <laughs> That's an accomplished total for, for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And and he hadn't even deadlifted. You know, that's it's, he still did something like 2587 or 2560. I don't even remember the numbers anymore. But he still put up a crazy total. And then John still as well, too, doing a um, – I think he ended with like a, a 970, a 970, a 90 kilo – a 980. Like I, I still want to say it was very close to 11 times body weight. And then Chad just two and a half kilos off 
of a thousand kilos. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that John did that really kind of uh, made us unsure about what the future of wraps was, was he actually bested the 198 wrapped total. Yeah. And so I think it's also a really cool thing that now the wrapped total is back above the sleeve total. It's not a, it's not a wild margin. It's not what you typically see from the wrap to sleeve difference. It's not that typical 10%. But, you know, Chad's just hitting a stride. He's on an upswing. While I believe he gave pretty maximum effort today, you know, there, there, wasn't, a lot of, there wasn't a lot of kilos left on the, on the platform for yeah. Chad at all by any means. But that doesn't mean he's not going to get stronger. And, you know, Chad's already been doing this for a while. He's kind of figured things out for himself. He's really hit the stride. I think we're going to see that total expand even further if Chad continues to compete mm-hmm. at 90 kilo. And then, you know, thinking on about the potential damage he could then do at 100 kilos. Think about the damage he could do there at 220. I mean, we, we're, we're seeing a big shift, man. The, the, it's, it's, the numbers are getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And uh, oh, the current, the current, when the current and the hybrid showdown and the showdown come around, every time they come around, there's always like a damn dude, mm-hmm. damn dude. Like there is a shift, and it's every single contest. There's an upswing from the men and the women, and they're just pushing, pushing that envelope. Another one, two, three, four, five percent that we didn't expect to see. That we didn't expect to see this magnitude. Um, I'm super stoked to see the women in the lightweight men tomorrow, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, just doing the hybrid recap on two white lights and then taking it to this, to the current U.S. Open, where we're talking about Chad winning and still massive performances from Dan Bell and John Hack. And it's crazy when you have those two guys doing what they do, but now we get another dude to talk about. Right, we get another guy, we get another beast to really follow exactly. and see his progress, and that's something. I think powerlifters assume that it's never going to happen, right? I think they're so short sighted at times that they don't look at what people potentially can do in the future. And right now, with Chad winning this meet, I think this is going to be a guy where powerlifters actually follow. They're going to see what he can do, and you you see another guy in there because, again, like I said initially. Not a lot of people counted on Chad winning this meet, and it doesn't happen a lot. In, I, I I will say it doesn't happen a lot in powerlifting, where you see this with every big meet, right? You see this with every big meet where if this guy does this, he will win, but Absolutely. the other people have to miss. And then yes. what happens a lot that just it doesn't come to fruition. That person pushes it too hard, goes 6 for 9 or something, and that other person goes 8 for 9. I'm speaking primarily on the Raw National side. This happens a lot in USAPL. Uh, you know, Taylor, like 74s, Taylor Atwood, this happens a lot. If Taylor Atwood misses a lift and this lifter goes 9 for 9, they could win, and then Taylor Atwood always ends up going 8 for 9 and that lifter goes like 6 for 9, and then it's over. It's, it's done. Exactly. This one actually happened. This one, we have a surprise winner from it, and that was great to see. And I think, I'm going to ask you this, after the squat attempts, because that's what I was really looking at the most with uh, specifically Chad, because when he was on the show, he specifically told us if he goes 3-for-3 three three on squats and he hits his last squat, he has a legit chance to beat Hack and possibly Dan Bell in that situation too. And like, all right, so let's watch it. He goes three for three on squats, and then 
you know, the light bulb, the light bulb kind of comes up and he can legit do this. So did you yeah, think so on the squats? Did you think that was going to happen too, or? Um. So I knew Chad had his eyes set on a three ninety three squat. Like he really wanted eight sixty six. Like that was numero uno. There was talk of Chad pushing four hundred kilos and maybe even a nine hundred pound squat, given what he had on the day. You know, he had such a wild training cycle. People were throwing all kinds of wild stuff out there. Realistically, I knew he was good for eight sixty six, the three ninety three kilo for the new world record. I knew that. Um, 881, I won't say was outside of my expectations, but frankly, I didn't know what to expect from Chad. I just didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I've watched Chad compete at multiple contests in person. I've been watching Chad, Chad's training for, uh, uh, three years now. And, uh, you know, Chad is solid all the way around, but, you know, given, um, you know, Chad's, for example, his really wide squat stance, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've seen him take, I believe he took 860 or something, 860. 870 in training and it was really high so you know there was a lot of factors at play here um you know what i will say is i definitely didn't expect chad penson to be the person who put up the uh uh you know the heaviest weight class to do an 11 times body weight total mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, I didn't i did not expect that <laughs> i didn't expect uh somebody to do 11x at 198 other other than john potentially this time around Mm-hmm. Like just because I knew that was a direct goal of his, John is typically very consistent in his competitorship um, and what he puts up. Uh, and uh, it, it's amazing. It's amazing to see. And it really opens the door for some crazy stuff. You know, if you would have said five years ago that someone was going to total 2K at 181 or 2K, 2200 nearly at 198. You would have laughed. You would have laughed at that person. Yeah. You would have been like, nah. You know, most people, not necessarily everybody, but most people would have laughed at that person. And now, like, you can really start to see the potential of, like, an 11 times body weight, 220 total, a 2420, an 1100 kilo total at 220. You know, yeah. something crazy. So, um, this just excites me, man. I'm excited for power. You know, we thought, and he is, I still think that John Hack is a once a generation lifter, but to have two of them, they have three of them. Yeah. All just running the platforms all at the same time, you know, literally in a different realm than most of the other lifters in the sport, three, 600 Wilk scores, uh, just competing it out for the top end. Man, it's crazy. And then seeing that we're pushing 650, on a men's Wilk score? Yeah. We talked about how impossible that was going to be a couple of years ago with the current when when the women were first starting to do 600 Wilk scores. And, man, it's just who knows how far this can go. Who And, you know, one thing that you said earlier was you thought that – or that you had said that lifters, you know, don't talk about – they're not, they're not uh, open-minded or far-sighted enough to see what could potentially happen. You know, I think that same – logic applies to the the production value that we're getting from the sport and i think we're seeing a lot of growth happen in the sport over these last two years that that are going to put something really nice out there for the viewers yeah absolutely and um it was you know the score i mean and all all three of these gentlemen that we're talking about right now killed it on their squats i believe all of them went three for three and put up some insane totals um or insane squat numbers there so they kicked off the competition with a bang. Chad's second squat was so good, the lights went out. That was incredible. <laughs> like, his squat was so powerful that he actually took electricity away from, I think, all of San Diego, California. So, that was 
That was scary to me. Like, seriously, watching the live stream and see the lights go out and, like, I don't know how you could squat. Actually, it might be the best time to squat because the judges might not be able to see your depth. You just cut it, like, yeah. a few inches high. <laughs> it's funny how that worked. Uh, uh, thankfully, he took a third squat and also got the third squat, and yeah. the lights also did not cut out. You know, some people are, are giving flack for the pyrotechnics. Uh, personally, uh, I thought it was cool. Maybe a little overboard, maybe a little no, too close. Come on. See, that's the thing. Like, people are like, oh, it was overboard. Like, what do you guys want? It's either you exactly. want high production value or you don't want high production value. And, and now, that's exactly where I am. Occasionally, exactly am. before the squat with the pyro, I'm like, Maybe you should wait for the fireworks. That, that's why I'm saying over that, the timing of it is why I'm saying overboard. I think the concept is awesome. Uh, uh, I think it's cool as hell. I didn't. I personally didn't like the uh, like the ring girls that were go- there were ring girls going by on the th- on the third attempt deadlifts. There were ring girls going by with the numbers on boards, which is a good concept. But I just don't think it's really good to put here in powerlifting quite yet. Um, though, given the style of contest, you know, it, it had its place. It uh, wasn't my favorite part of the show. I personally love the pyrotechnics. People are already raising hell over that because it, it obviously blew. It's pro- probably a contributing factor to the fuse blowing and then the light and DJ going out. But that being said, like, you're going to have those types of roadblocks yeah. when you when you try to do this in a sport and people just don't understand that it's always this weird uh when when you when you try to improve on the sport and and you don't do the best you don't do 100% perfect a plus landing yeah oh what the fuck why didn't you just keep what was there you can bleep that out why didn't we just do it how we were doing it before and then we do what we were doing before and they go wow powerlifting's so boring it'll never change yeah i agree with you entirely oh yeah Uh, i just I mean, we were we did it on the last episode of uh, of uh, Two White Lights. We were discussing like the profession, like a p- potential for a professional league within the USAPL, and then people were messing Joe. That's like the sport is too boring to have a professional league. It's like okay, it's either we try to make it fun and make it where we actually have something where people funny funnel their money into, or we keep it the same boring thing and people are going to complain about it anyways. So uh, nope. yeah, I. I agree. I did. I did not see the ring girls. For I, I don't know how I would miss that. Cause that's something I would. That's something I would make fun of immediately. I don't hate it though. I would make fun of it, but I don't hate the idea because I mean, boxing has it. Mixed martial arts boxing has it. Has it. Mixed martial Ooh. arts has it. Ooh. So, and, and I think honestly, that's more of the type of production. Uh, the production of boxing, the production of mixed martial arts. That's kind of more where powerlifting is going to find its its, its place. Yeah. Is in that type of production? Like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be guys. We, we, powerlifting is going to be. It, it has to be looked at at a little bit more. Yes, it's a sport, but a little bit more as a spectacle. Yes, versus that of a normal sport. Uh, uh, and I think that's how we see UFC. That's how we see boxing. That's how we see all the combat sports. Uh, you know, and I think that. This in the same way that like like skateboarding is a little more of a spectacle. Yeah, uh, you know, especially given that it's an individualized sport, guys, we're not going to see the same type of professionalism that you're going to see at an NBA event as we will have at powerlifting events. To, to me, I kind of like the difference between the two, like where the USAPL and IPF puts on like a very professional type thing. I kind of like seeing there's an alternative to that. Yeah, with certain meets like this, 
I think it, it would be a little bit out of the ordinary to see it at a USAPL meet, like Pyro well, and Ring not, Girls, but like I do the like... Pyro and Ring Girls, the, the Pyro and Ring Girls, yes, but you know, one thing the USAPL does is the Jumbotron. Yeah, exactly, so it's like... It, it, it's just a balance of, of, of what line you fall on. Obviously, the USAPL still has, you know, meets that have a massive production value that are also amazing in presentation, uh, you know, and uh, across the board, you know, they have a consistent type of thing worked out. Uh, but, you know, again, I still don't think anybody's gotten it right yet. Nobody's gotten it perfect yet. It hasn't happened. Yeah. And I think that's the goal everybody's trying to reach. Yeah. For sure, absolutely, and like you say, it's a spectacle. And I like if you just look, so say if you just watch a powerlifter train, that's more of a spectacle than watching anyone else practice at their sport, right? You go into the gym, you see someone lift weight. It's like a, it's I don't want to say freak show. It's but it's something like that where someone just is blown away at what you're doing, as opposed to watching a baseball player take batting practice at, at certain times or like hit off a tee or like. It, it is a spectacle in that sense, and that's what I think should be presented. So you're on to, you're on there. I liked what I saw. I liked the pyro. Maybe not before the squat because if somebody, you know, dumps the bar on the fucking spotters and they have pyro before that, it just is a bad look. Just also, what, you, said, you said something that, tri- that got me, not triggered me, but got me. Uh, one thing I would like to say, man, the single best spotter loader crew tied for the absolute best spotter loader crew I have ever seen in a contest today. They caught dump squats. I mean, this in my mind is is just as good of a spotter crew with way more lifters too than we saw at Big Dogs a couple years ago, um, where Peter Pet, Peter Petrus dumped that uh, 1,100 pound or near 1,100 pound squat over 400, you know, so it's, it's over 450 kilo squat, something crazy uh, in the thousands. And the spotters caught it. We saw a lot of that today. One of the spotters actually hurt his shoulder. Uh, catching uh, Phil Herndon's squat that he dumped today. Um, not that he dumped it, it, it rolled off his back. It happens. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the lifters stayed safe. Not a single barbell hit the floor. They caught some benches that were, you know, were planting into people's stomachs because they came down so fast sometimes. I mean, awesome, awesome job from the spotters and loaders today. And, guys, thank your spotters and loaders at your local meets. Seriously, think about the local meets. Think about the big meets. Those guys, other than the actual competitors, man, they are the most important part of a powerlifting meet, and they killed it here at the Kern. They killed it. They killed it. They killed it. I was sorry to interrupt with that, but no, that is perfectly such, fine. Such, I like. Such. We are a pro spotters and loaders podcast, so uh, yeah, we like. We always <laughs> say like, you know, only time you hear from spotters and loaders is when they don't do their jobs right, and you never hear what happens when they do their jobs right. Like that's something that should be spotlighted. And yeah, like you said, they're important, but. You know, let's go on to the bench with um, with uh, flight C because that was kind of the prime time flight. Um, we might get to, you know, we might I might ask you like if anything else stuck out from you, but we will stick with the highlights first for bench Before press. Before you say what you're going to say, I think I know what you're going to say. What are you going to talk about the press commands? I am not. I'm just at, no. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to get. On, I mean, actually, I mean, if that's something you want to talk about, because I was watching bench press, I was just asking like. What you saw on bench press, what stuck out to you? Because we're going lift by lift. Um, right. We saw some terrific um, bench presses. John Hack always, I I love my favorite lift of John Hack is his uh, bench. It is bench. the best. It is the best bench. I, it's the most aesthetically pleasing bench to me. I love it. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. Things that stuck out to me, uh, what I was going to say was the third attempts. The third attempt bench presses all got fast press commands. One and twos were fine. The third attempts of flight C all got fast press commands. So we'll get that out of the way now. Okay. Um, regardless of that, I don't think it played a huge role in the benches that took place. Um, some of the third bench attempt jumps were kind of wild. They were kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things that stuck out to me, um, at, which at first confused me, um, was the placement of the bench. They actually put the bench more towards the back left corner of the platform and turned it around so that the, the, lifter, the audience at the contest and the audience on the live stream got a more diagonal frontal view mm-hmm. of the lifter on the bench press. And I actually loved that. I loved it. I thought it was a great, it was an awesome thing to do. And, you know, one reason they typically don't do a front-facing view at a, at a meet facing the audience is because of the, the kind of direct view you get of a lifter's groin area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons they didn't do it. And so that diagonal front angle really, really worked. Um, I really loved that. Uh, you know, I, honestly, no one's really going to talk about, no one's going to talk a lot about the lifts um, other than, you know, maybe John Hack and, uh, John Hack, Dan and Chad. I would say TD, I would say TD smash in there too. TD's 700 pound bench was huge. Uh, TD went eight, seven, eight on the day, almost went eight, seven, nine. (laughs) I could not believe he jumped from uh, TD, Thomas Davis, TD smash. I cannot believe he jumped from eight Oh four to nine Oh three from two to three on deadlift and actually, was like really close. <laughs> like was really, really close. It was one of the highlights of the day for me. Yeah, he and, then, and his deadlift, he stuck with that deadlift for such a long time that I was just I was I sometimes I'm amazed in a missed attempt. I was amazed in that attempt because Absolutely. he was you know trying to like strongman it up. He was trying to hitch it up. He was trying to Absolutely. and he and he held on. He he held on to that weight for such a long time, and he blew up his first two attempts. That blew, blew him up. the fuck up. Absolutely blew him up. I don't think. And I don't think TD expected the weights to move that day. Obviously, given he did like a seventeen and a twenty kilo jump from one to two, and then does like a thirty-seven and a half <laughs> kilo jump, or thirty-five kilo jump from two to three, or eighty or forty-two, or it was something. I don't remember what it was. Eighty pounds, ninety pounds. I don't remember what it was. Nearly a hundred. Ninety-nine pounds. I don't know how many kilos that is. Whatever, 45? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, man, it was, it was so awesome. One of the other, one of my favorite things, uh, Ed Blair benching. Watching Ed bench, honestly. I love watching Ed bench. Um, uh, Keek. Keek was a fun one to watch on the bench press. He nearly bench pressed 600. Wasn't going to bench 600, but he made a stupid jump from two to three. But he was, he was, a, he was like the close grip. Uh, 275 bencher. He's uh, coached by Josh Bryant. You could see that in the way that he bench pressed. It was again another like spectacle esque lift. Um, Chad opened too heavy on bench. Chad, you opened too heavy on bench. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, honestly, some of the craziest benches. I actually with Chad, I actually could attest because. Again, I was at the gym. I was working out, so I was kind of unaware with first and second attempts. When I saw Chad take his first attempt, I thought it moved a little bit more like a second. Yeah. Uh, so that's when I was like, oh, are they on their second attempts? Yeah. And then on from second to third, 
He he RP timed the second. He didn't have uh, really anything left. And then he decided to go ahead and take the third with a two and a half kilo jump. Looking now, that two and a half kilos actually would have put him at a thousand kilos. Yeah. Now I don't think that was necessarily that could have been part of the objective. I'm not positive, um, but personally, I wouldn't have wasted the energy on a two and a half kilo jump in that range, given the jump he also took from one to two. Though I can see the purpose of it at a contest like this. Yeah, I, I, same exact thing. When I saw his second move, I was thinking a scratch third attempt. Yeah, because that that's what I would do in that situation. If it moved to an RP ten, I'd be like, okay, there's no reason for me to take a third attempt here. But he did. I mean, a lot of I think I think at the current, uh, especially meet like this, people just take that third attempt because it's going to help their total. Another thing that people aren't going to talk about enough um, is, you know, Gracie V and Ryan Rubio putting together this event. There are so many moving parts, and they wanted to bring something really different this year, and they did that. I think they already did that, um, and they, they've been working on that for years. I still want to give Gracie that credit of really trying to trailblaze the really high production value money meets in powerlifting, you know, kind of combining the two things. We've seen the high production value meets before. We've seen the really good money meets before and bringing those two things together. You're under a microscope. Obviously look at what we're doing. You're under a microscope and you do, you know, every year, every year there's something that goes wrong that people talk about to an overwhelming extent. And I never ever hear enough of like, wow, She's still stuck with it every year, and she never has the same issue year to year. Like you know, I, I guys really, really pay your respects to, the, to pay your respects. That's not the phrase I wanted to use. Really, really thank your meat directors. Shout out those meat directors who are putting on these high quality contests. You know, uh, it's going to be the same thing at Showdown and same thing at Hybrid. Everyone's under a microscope. Everyone's trying to put together a top notch production and i still think gracie did that uh this year again and i think she's done it every single year there's just always been something there's just always been something she never gets to move away from that and i don't care about that she you know this is this is year five year six if you want to count the covid year this is the sixth year of this event they've given out um over a twenty five thousand dollar prize every single year to the winner of this contest that is huge that is a huge amount of money to win out of powerlifting meet uh, so, so, you know, sorry for this little tangent here, but, you know, I have to I have to really make sure I, I, I vocalize that, that you guys understand how much work Gracie's put in over the last half decade into bringing these high quality, high value money meets to the to, to the lifters and, and now to the to the viewers of the sport. You know, she's reinvesting a lot back into the live streams now and making sure that it's reaching these people. And then also, Angelo, to you, too, man, doing what you're doing. Um, you know, what you're doing is awesome. A podcast for the interaction inside of the sport for the people in it. I, what you're doing is great as well, Angelo. So I, I, sorry, but you know, <laughs> what you're doing is awesome. Yeah. I could always count on Gareth, you're coming on the podcast to give like a tangent in the middle of a, you know, like a bench recap kind of thing, <laughs> but so I appreciate sorry. it. And I do agree with you. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm honest. I, I, have been critical of Gracie V. It probably still will be critical of Gracie V. Like just going forward, because I kind of just don't take back takes. But I will agree with you. The improvement on the meat from year to year has been fantastic. I Absolutely. gave her a hard time about the bear, 
I'm still going to give a hard time about the bear at the last turn. I was like, why is that there? <laughs> but you know I what? I, I, I guess we'll disagree. I mean, bears are cool. I, I, I totally agree with bears being cool. I just like, why is it there? Maybe we didn't need that. But this year, you have pyro. Okay, so the the bear budget went to pyro budget. I'm all for that. So and the platform was good. A lot of people gave her flack for that. So the meat definitely improved. The live stream production is fantastic. I agree with you there. And you know what? Let's move on to deadlifts right now because I was loving what I saw in deadlifts, and that's when the meat took its shape. Was me at surge uh, watching all the deadlifts, especially on flight C. And knowing that missed attempts, made attempts is going to dictate who is the winner. So what did you see? I, I mean, I saw some really interesting stuff uh, from, especially John Hack on, on his deadlift there too. Yeah, I. Um, so for those of you who don't know, John's original opener, I believe was 766. I want to say it was 347 and a half kilos. Uh, and... Right before the flight starts, he changed his opener to, uh, what was it, 370, so 815 pounds. Uh, and I was absolutely not expecting, especially John of all people, to do that, even given the ground he had to make up. Because, um, you know, going into third attempts, or going into first attempt deadlifts, you know, um, permitting that each lifter hit their first attempt. So with John's original opener of 347, um, you know, it would have been Dan after first attempts in first place with a 632 score, um, Chad in second with a 631, and John with, I believe, like a 609. So John was still 20 points behind, but, you know, I completely expected him to make up ground during the deadlift. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, it's one of his best lifts by far. Uh, you know, obviously pushing the world record at 198 in full power, um, it, it's something that he's gotten close to pretty much the last three contests. So, you know, seeing him change it, veer from his plan and putting in 370 as an opener was definitely quite a surprise. It gave him another five or six so points on the Wilkes after opening deadlifts um, and then going straight from 370 to 400. Seeing John make a 30-kilo jump from one to two that was in that where two was in that range of his max, um, which is his max. It's the best, it's the heaviest number he's ever deadlifted in the gym, 881. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely not a normal John Hack move, but again, it's the current, it calls for it. You know, it, it can call for it. The right competition can call for it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Again, when I saw that 400, on the, I, I thought it was a third attempt. So when he missed, I was like, wait, hold on. Did, this, did he just miss his third attempt? Because I was trying to piece everything together. Then I realized it was a second attempt. But when I saw that happen, like, based on how he missed it, I didn't think he was coming back and taking that third and hitting it. I was like, it got caught halfway. It looks like a clear – didn't it look like a technical thing? It looked just more like a strength thing. It, and yeah, it looked like he was out of gas. Yeah. You know, it looked like he was out of gas. It looked like, you know, it looked like John dead, had deadlifted 400 kilos in the gym before, and it, was, and it wasn't going to happen on meat day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's powerlifting, man, uh, for, uh, especially – I would imagine a 400 kilo deadlift feels really, really, really different after seven other max effort or 90% plus attempts uh, out of me, you know, all in one day. Uh, so that was crazy. Uh, TD, T 
TD, I talked about it once, talking about it again. TD putting on 900 for his third. Oh, my God. Blew my freaking mind. Blew my mind. Um, and, and seeing him pull 804 with SP, Dan Clancy, 030G. He pulled, I want to say it was like 858, I want to say was the number. Um, something like 387 or 385. I can't quite remember. But uh, you guys probably don't know Dan Clancy, 030G on Instagram. Um, you know, two years ago at the current Taurus Bicep. This was his first meet back since Taurus Bicep on deadlifts. Came back, I believe, in a, a lighter weight class this time around and totaled roughly the same and still put up a massive mid-8s deadlift. It was amazing to see. Um, and obviously, Chad pulling that 804, I believe, was huge. Um, seeing Dan miss 903 twice was definitely unexpected. Dude, I got I to gotta talk about Dan. I was stunned that he misses second the way he missed it because it just it it barely it, I mean he got like not even midway through so I was right. thinking like I mean classic Dan Bell fashion missed the second attempt and nailed the third right that's like the Dan Bell special that in a case of Coors Light missed the second attempt smashed Coors Light at the end that's the Dan Bell special but I was thinking like Chad has this one the the how Dan Bell missed his second Chad, uh, Chad has this one and then when that third was moving, I was like, oh, my God. You, this is, like, equivalent of a three-point shot at basketball to win the game. I'm like, I, when I saw that move when I saw that move up, I was like, holy shit, he can get this. Except even if Dan had hit that deadlift, he would have lost to Chad by five points. He would have missed it? He would have lost it still? He still would have lost. Okay. Yes, that, that was one thing I didn't get to iterate on. I may have gotten to iterate, but I don't think I got to iterate on the live stream. Uh, even if Dan would have hit his 30, actually, I think it would have put him at 838 or 839, 837, somewhere. Oh, okay. oh, sorry, sorry. 637, 638, 639, somewhere in that range on the Wilkes score. Um, so, no, he actually still wouldn't have oh, won. How, all right. how crazy is that, though? How yeah. crazy is that that is the, the margin that Chad got to? I mean, seeing, I mean, we saw somebody beat Dan Bell and John Hack in the same meet. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We, and it was Chad Penson. It was our yeah. boy Chad Penson, man. Yeah, that's... Um, so uh, you know Chad, what Chad, as the li- the li- real lifters of the sport have known for a while, but now everybody knows you are not underrated. You are not under the radar, okay? <laughs> you are one of the best. And right now, actively, you have the highest Wilkes score of 2020, 2021. Uh, I believe you may even have the highest world score compared since 2000 and, uh, since Yuri Belkin 2019 or 2020. I don't remember, but there is only one lifter who is a man with a higher world score than you right now, a higher coefficient, and that is Yuri Belkin. And um, that's one reason I'm really excited to watch Chad go to 220. Yeah, I you know I'm gonna apologize. I did not know that was for the win, uh, or that wasn't for the win. I was just assuming that it was for the win. Um, I think based on a group chat that I was in, because I was just again kind of trying to piece everything together on placing. Um, I mean that man. I wish you didn't tell me that because the <laughs> me watching it was like like holy shit, he can actually do this. Even though I didn't think it, I thought it would be the same exact pull based on how he pulled his second. But that third flew for Dan Bell. Um, and the way he reacted to it, 
I, I thought it was for the win just based on he just kind of – hold on. Now, you could tell me because I was getting a little bit of a lag on the dry, uh, live stream and it was kind of cutting in and out. Was was there a call there that he wasn't happy about, or did he just lose Maybe balance again? Maybe for a second, but I, I just don't think he realized what the lift looked like. He thought that because he got the down, he kind of still got the down command, or she tr- attempted to give the down command uh, that he should have gotten the lift. But I don't think he realized what the lift quite looked like yet. It was kind of a heat of the moment thing for a second, yes, but afterwards, abs- absolutely not. Absolutely okay, not. I I couldn't tell because I, I didn't even get to see the like I saw it move up fast. It kind of cut out. Then I saw the weight on the floor, and I was like, "Holy shit, he got that!" And yes. then I saw his reaction. Like, okay, that that's that's an indication that it was a red lighted yeah. lift. Um, uh, so I just didn't one, know exactly what what happened there. One thing I would like to talk about, a lifter I would like to talk about, is actually a lifter out of Indiana. Indianapolis. His name is Justin Jackson. I saw him. That dude is ridiculous. Now, now here's what people don't know. Is Justin's actually been around and competing at some pretty high-level meets here and there for quite a long time. Uh, he actually competed, I want to say, the 2014 or 15, maybe even 16, <laughs> Reebok Record Breakers, um, where he was one of the first people to squat 800 pounds at 220. Um, so he's actually been around here for a while, and Justin... Uh, has some rough preps. He actually may have tore his bicep today. Still, I believe, worked out a total. Uh, I believe Justin actually got fourth place overall. Yeah. Uh, and it, with something like a 589 Wilkes or something, I'm not, I, I don't quote me to that. We'll have to really see what the final score sheet says tomorrow. I didn't, hap- I didn't happen to get those results. But uh, Justin Jackson on Instagram, guys, is Climax with a K. K-L-I-M-A-X-X, maybe two X's. He's a lifter out of Indianapolis. He trains at... Uh, Barky's Fitness and Indy City Barbell, uh, or has trained at Indy City Barbell. I believe he's typically trains at Barky's Fitness. He's also the Indiana USPA State Chair. Um, uh, Justin Jackson really, really show. I think showed up today, even with the injury towards the end. Squatted four hundred and twenty-five kilos today. Uh, for those of you who don't want the kilo math, that's nine hundred and thirty-five pounds. He benched something like uh, 573 uh, and then still made away with a 749 deadlift. Um, uh, definitely going to be one of the shadowed things of this event that I really don't want people to look over. Uh, there was there was some other really awesome lifts, but to me, that was kind of like the standout, like let's call it like uh, the standout sixth man performance, fourth man, yeah. for fourth, you know, fourth man performance, whatever, for me. It was Justin Jackson coming in here and – you know, and it's also been a while since Justin's done a meet like this. Uh, you know, it was it was really awesome for me to see. Also, being from Indianapolis, you know, mm-hmm. it was cool to see those local guys hanging. So. Yeah, man, I think I think everyone has that little thing where they actually see the guy, they know the guy, and watch him compete. Because watching Ed Blair compete, like you bought up his bench, I get to see that guy train every single day, and he's one of my favorite lifters to watch just in person because I get to see it. I get to see it every day. I know how hard he works. I know how technically proficient he is, and yeah, you you are right on Justin Jack. I, I didn't know of him. I was watching the meet, you know, periodically, and I'm like, this dude is just an absolute beast. And even people watching the live stream and Surge was kind of like taking notice, like, who the fuck is that guy? That's like some really quick for the uh, the judging. How did you see it unfold today? Because I was uh. looking at it. I'm a shit judge when it comes to wrapped and raw. So, like, you're yeah, the you're so, the guy to ask on this. 
Right. So the first thing I will say is it is actually harder to judge rap squats. It's also harder to tell if rap squats are too depth on a live stream. There's more material. There's patterns and designs and things that kind of distort the way things look. Um, and depending on how the knees wrap, there might even be an actual partial visual obstruction. Um, and, you know, it's, given the depth calls, they were also a little hard to see um, because of the lighting situation. Um, what I would say is... Uh, I would give the overall judging of this contest, um, we'll say a six out of ten. The judging of this day, I'll give a six. Now, uh, the, some of the pros were the flights that were judged well were judged near perfectly. That's okay. what I will say. But I will say on the negative end, there were a lot of a lot of depth calls I disagreed with, um, good and bad, actually. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah, and... Um, um, a few of, obviously, a much fewer majority of them were good calls that went bad. I don't remember any specifics, but ones not necessarily good, good lifts, not necessarily lifts that should have gotten white lights that got reds, but more so based on other attempts that I saw that certain lifts should have passed based on the the, the previous judging standards. So some inconsistency in depth calls. Um, the only inconsistency in bench press commands that I saw was. The third attempt of flight C, it seemed that the head referee started to get a little bit excited, started to kind of get into with the groove of their lifters, and started to move a little bit fast, gave some fast press commands. Okay. Um, overall, I think the judging of the deadlift was solid, a little inconsistent. Some, some deadlifts I would have definitively called soft that passed. Uh, other ones that were, there was actually even one call, um, James Mapp's second attempt deadlift, I believe it was 810 where initially on first look, watching it live, where I was at, looked like a good lift. Um, and I was actually a little bit upset that he got three reds on. Because uh, what I had initially seen was that uh, the plates kind of whipped as he locked out, but the actual barbell didn't have a downward motion. What had actually happened is his underhand, his left hand, moved away from his body. At the same time, it had some downward motion. So from the angle that I was at, it just looked like it only swayed. When I rewatched it uh, on the live stream, I did see that there was downward motion. So there's a slight redaction for me there, guys. Uh, and then uh, otherwise, I think the deadlift calls were good all the way around. There was, a, a, uh, ironically, on James Mapp's third deadlift, there was a lot of confusion and kind of fuss going on in the warm-up room about the maybe a misloaded attempt. And I misspoke there on the live stream and kind of listened to multiple heads on what was happening. Um, but there was actually no misload. Um, all the way around again, a six out of 10, maybe a six and a half out of 10. Hopefully tomorrow it's improved. Uh, really what I saw is it looked like every now and again, an inexperienced judge was being cycled onto the platform. Okay. That's what, it, that's what it looked like. If you had to really put words to what was happening, that's what it looked like. It looked like an inexperienced judge was making his or her way onto the platform. Yeah. Uh, cause it wasn't like that the whole day. Uh, it was, it was when there were one or two specific judges in rotation. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when you know, when you don't know something, you gotta ask the authority figure, and you are the authority figure on you know depth calls and judging. So I'm always gonna really, defer to you. I wasn't gonna give any of my takes on this because I was watching it and like can't really tell myself. I'm not a judge, and I'm especially not a judge with rap squats. So yeah. thank you for the insight on that. Absolutely, and, and I will say like it was harder. It like the the live stream did make depth look worse. I will say that the front camera. Did and the and the lighting situation did make depth look worse than it was. I was there. I did see it. Um, I was also at a side angle 
Uh, there were times I did have some obstructions. There were other times I did not. So it just kind of depended. But for the most part, um, the, uh, most, of the, most of the calls and definitely the important calls were fine. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. And you know what? Based, you know, just on that, I'm going to let you get to it. I'm going to let you prep for day two where you're commentating yes. again. I can't wait to actually watch the entire thing and listen to you. I have nothing going on tomorrow aside from powerlifting viewing. So I'm excited for that. Before we close out, I would like to say that, guys, before you message me on Instagram or whatever, or tell me good job or bad job or, or this is what I should have done, there are things I still need to improve on as a commentator for the event. I am fully aware. I know what those things are. I've taken advice from people close to me, uh, and I will be making those changes. And obviously, if I ever misspeak, I will make sure that uh, some sort of clarification is made so that you guys have the proper information. But I do also want to say thank you to everybody who, uh, you know, reached out to me and complimented my commentating abilities in the live stream. I really appreciate it. It is a very nerve-wracking thing. It frankly was harder than I expected it to be. Um, it's, it is also still also very different from emceeing at a normal contest and being over the loudspeaker. It's a little bit different. Um, so... Uh, thank you guys for bearing with me, uh, and thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Uh, can't wait to see you tomorrow. I'm going to let you go. All right, peace. All right, we got some day two action with Garrett Fear again. Commentator extraordinaire. <laughs> I actually got to listen, and I, I could say that now. Extraordinaire? Come on, dude. Extraordinaire. Hey, you said in the first half of this episode that you were going to make some improvements, and you fucking did it, buddy. You did it. You made the improvements that you said you were going to do, and you know what? You got some of the suggestions. You got a play-by-play guy in there, too, or a color commentator. I don't know what you and Andy decided who's the play-by-play and color commentator, but the flow was excellent, dude. I, I was I was loving the commentary today. I think part of the reason Andy and I worked so well together is we didn't discuss, like, specifics. We just sat down and, like, looked, you know, thought about the presentation of things, I think, evenly and said, okay, I've already been doing the play-by-play commentation through the thing, through the entire course of the event. And I was already, like, I had a whole pace developed in, you know, when attempts came up, calling the attempts, calling the difference between first and second attempts and the lifters' name, their weight classes. I had, a, I had an entire essentially a formula worked out and just a working order that I had, excuse me. And, um, you know, Andy was just, was a great addition there. And, and as was Rick Simmons, Ironmonger's room and Stacy Bamberg, but Andy, especially you have to do like four flights with Andy, four flights commentating with Andy. I absolutely loved it. Had a freaking blast of a time with Andy. And he's also just been so actively involved in the sport you know, in the in parts of the same periods of time that I have been involved and we've seen a lot of the same lifters come and go. We've competed with a lot of those lifters who were on the platform there. You know, so we both had a little bit of extra insight onto what was going on on the platform. Uh, just truthfully a great addition. Um, you know, but to call myself a uh, commentator extraordinaire, when, I wouldn't quite go that far. I think I did a, a good enough job for powerlifting's first like true major live stream commentation you know mm-hmm. we made an attempt to do a little bit of uh post me interviews there and some breakdowns and post lift interviews stuff like that adding the interview aspect with the other commentators you know also kind of interviewing them in the process that they were up there with me and um 
you know, added some good effects to added some uh, a good value to the live stream quality to the overall production value. Overall, I would call the the live stream a general success. Obviously, guys, we know some of the things that we're missing out on um, that the current is missing out on, uh, and I'm sure next year it'll be even 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 better. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what? We'll work on that commentary uh, rating soon. Uh, we'll get that. That'll, that'll be the next thing. We had the lifter rating, the coach rating. We'll get the commentator rating uh, very very soon. But you know what? I really liked about you and Andy, and we could you know use this as really just to talk about the current as a whole is your honesty because a lot of times what happens when people commentate meets they don't want to be put out there and have something said about another lifter that might be disparaging or might be a criticism or a critique and you I appreciate the honesty in commentary because you weren't being mean you weren't being malicious but you were saying okay that's a bad attempt selection or I don't know about this, I don't know about this lifter getting their third attempt and talking about the attempt selection as a whole and also not being afraid to go into like some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened uh, specifically on day two. So I think that's really good as far as what you guys bring to uh, to commentary. Yeah, no, I think, it would, I think it was really important to have that type of arbitrary view on the lift, like not necessarily arbitrary, but more sorry, arbitrary is the wrong word. A neutral standpoint on the lifters, their attempt selection, so on and so forth, and presenting that information to the people listening to the live stream at home. I mean, the entire point of everything that you know, a lot of these people uh, on the on the events side of things are doing and trying to bring more spectators to the sport. Uh, a big, a big part in doing that is going to be educating the people at home watching the live streams. Mm-hmm. So. I felt it was important to kind of break down generally how attempt selections go at the high level, what you typically like to see from the attempts. Andy also did a great job remaining completely neutral and very honest. Um, you know, I actually even had one lifter who I consider a friend, um, somebody I've known for years, come up to me and say that somebody said to this person that uh, I said that they didn't belong there at the meet on the live stream. And I never said nothing of the sort. This lifter, I simply said, uh, looked like they set their opener too heavy, made a 10-kilo jump on their second attempt. They missed their opening squat and then just murdered the second squat. It was crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I never said nothing to the sort. And so I understand how in some ways it's probably going to make me look a little bit even more like a, almost a villain in a sense when I'm talking about people's lifters to some of the lifters. But I think, I think that role has to be filled in some capacity if we're talking about legitimizing the sport mm-hmm. and making it presentable to, you know, gen pop. Yeah. You got to roll with the punches when that stuff happens because even just with like my experience doing two white lights, if you're in media, you're just going to upset people. Like anything with media relations, either one of your opinions is going to upset someone or some like what happened to you, one of the things you said is misconstrued and it possibly gets relayed to a lifter. And I'm, I know that you could deal with it, but it happens in all sports. You talk about Gen Pop, like people don't like announcers for that reason. People don't like media for that reason. But then they go into their columns and they tune into all their games because of that. It's like you kind of need that balance in between there. So, um, yeah, I think uh, and I think you're the perfect guy for that role. Especially considering I don't particularly care to be liked. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's like it's perfect. It's a it's a very good thing. Like Joe Buck, the uh, the baseball comment, the NFL 
and Major League Baseball commentator. He is hated by almost every fan base. His Twitter, his Twitter thing is, I root for every team aside from your team. And that's a perfect bio. And then I heard him on podcasts. I was a guy. I'm a big sports fan. I used to hate Joe Buck. I heard him on a podcast. He's like, guys, I'm going to be serious. I literally don't give a shit about what anyone thinks. I've been employed by Fox for 30 years, and they haven't <laughs> fired me. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I've been doing something right. I'm like, all right, this guy, this guy's the best now. So I really like him. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, you would be the perfect guy for that because you pretty much made a career <sighs> off that. Yeah, I don't. I don't particularly care to be liked. I like to keep the sport honest. I don't necessarily care to be a refreshing figure or anything of that capacity. I just like to keep the sport honest. I would like someone to tell me if they thought I was squatting high at a contest or doing shitty mm-hmm. attempt selection or doing what, whatever, what be it. And uh, you know, I think that's I, I. I hold that standard for myself, so I hold the the sport to that standard. And uh, I have a little bit of an advantage also being an elite level lifter, which. I kind of forget. <laughs> just given how the sport has changed, I kind of forget, you know, just not the greatest competitor. Um, but all the way around, I was very satisfied with the way commentating went at the contest today. I think it was important, to be honest. Yep. There were, uh, you know, a couple of times where, again, I had to make some essentially redactions to, retractions, I'm sorry, the things that I had said um, at one point during a post-squats I did an interview with Hunter. I actually misread the scores and thought that Hunter's projected Wilkes post-squats was about eight points higher than Mariana's at 692 points. Um, And actually what I was reading was Hunter's total was 692.5 kilos and their Wilkes was 662 points, projected Wilkes, and they're right next to each other. And like, oh, (laughs) And so I told Hunter, she was like, you know, on track to be the pound for pound strongest female lifter or male lifter of all time, just to find out I was actually wrong. And she was 20 points behind it. it was like, oh, I felt so horrible for it, man. Yeah, those get worked on. That's why you need a team, like, kind of there, like, uh, stats, someone with the stats and someone with the actual interview. But you know what? Let's move on to the actual day that took place. Uh, day two, we covered day one on the first half of this podcast. So. Immediately upon going into the live stream, I saw a ton of comments. Uh, I got a ton of DMs on what happened to Gerald. Um, the, the I mean, I think the projected favorite for lightweight, uh, possibly winning best overall lifter, uh, he actually had the advantage of seeing what he had to total in order for him to win best overall lifter. I got DMs saying that like he missed weight. And I was like, all right, I went to bed. I like, like, how did he miss weight? I'm like, and that doesn't really matter because then, you know, you still have to lift a certain thing and based on your Wilkes points, but it went a little deeper than that. And you actually have a pretty good explanation. So a lot of people are asking, so what happened to, uh, Mr. Dionio? Gerald Dionio, tiny and tough. Um, I want to start this off by saying that Gerald is a, a very high level lifter. He has had all-time world records in both the 132-pound and 148-pound weight classes, uh, 60 and 67.5 kilos, respectively. Um, he has been in the top three at the current before, I yeah. believe. Very he accomplished. Has, very accomplished lifter. Very accomplished lifter. And um, today, 
I was informed that he was disqualified from the contest for allegedly attempting to cheat during weigh-ins. Um, and allegedly what, what had happened, what had taken place was that he, um, took an official weigh-in at either 136 or 146 pounds. That was one of the only things that I, I didn't get clearly. Now, he was signed up for the 67.548 pound weight class, so 146 pounds would have made more sense. But there was chatter from Gerald the day before, as I did see him at California Elite, or two days before, that he was looking at potentially going to 132. So he weighed in at either 146 or 136 officially. Again, I'm not sure exactly what the number was. When he weighed in, the weigh-ins for day two, I believe, were inside of a, um, a small tent uh, separated from the venue, um, from the main portion of the venue, um, as day one was obviously going on. Uh, and the referee that was in there with him during the weigh-ins uh, took his official weight. He tried to re-weigh in after already making whatever weight class he was supposed to be making at 148, either what, whether it be 146 or 136. Apparently, Gerald attempted to grab part of the uh, poles that were uh, kind of the base for this tent and tried to kind of pull himself up a little bit and pull some of his weight off the scale, trying to hang his feet off of the scale, and the weight was just fluctuating like crazy, uh, and then tried to send some photos um, to me as well. Um, again, everything I'm saying here is allegedly of um, you know his weight and what he was weighing with timestamps beforehand. Now, all of that was done on a scale at his house. All of the photos he sent me were on a scale at his house. And actually, every single time he's, the scale is being used, and he weighs, he sent me about five photos. And every single time the scale says anything under 145 pounds, he's not actually even on the scale. And the one time that he's on the scale, and it says that, is clearly right next to a sink or something. And uh, you could like obviously tell like, you know, there's there's something a little sketchy going on. I'm not sure what it is. I hold my opinions, I hold my reserves. If we I don't hold my reserves, I hold my opinion. I do think that Gerald did attempt to cheat. Uh, he was also he also allegedly asked the um, expat, the score the scorekeeper holding the cards to change his weight that he weighed in at. 260 kilos. Um, so they did not do that. They kept his official weight at whatever they took the weight at, whether it be 136 or 146 pounds. Uh, and showed up to the meet today and they disqualified him when he got there. Ah. All right. So that's, I guess that's where I got the disqualification from was the, by the, upon waking up and actually like tuning into the meet where people were sending me, uh, DMs that he got disqualified, and yeah, when I found it out, I was like, okay, I really got to piece this together, and the conclusion I came to is like, he might be the only person in history to get busted for cheating at an untested meet. That is incredible. Um, that takes some bold, <laughs> bold moves to get, to be found cheating at a meet where it's untested. That's... I mean, there it's like the Happy Gilmore. Fans. I'm the only guy in the league to try to take off a skate and stab somebody. There have been guys who have worn knee sleeves under knee wraps. There have been guys who've worn too long of knee wraps. There's actually even been lifters at some local meets 
who tried to weigh in with weights taped to them to weigh in heavier. Ah. So that they could take state records in divisions above their own. Oh. Um, okay. I will say this is probably the first time we've seen somebody cheat out of major money. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a short list. It's a short list of people who have cheated at untested meets. So uh, you really have to find a lot of manipulatives in order to find a way to kind of cheat the system. And, yeah, when I saw that, I was super disappointed, and particularly due to just if he was really trying to cheat, again, we're allegedly speaking, of course, um, you are really kicking dirt at the competitors the day before. Because Absolutely. those guys, they did what they were supposed to. They competed already. They already put together their totals. And you have that advantage already on what you need to do. And that probably, again, another speculation just on my part, the assumption here is you saw what Chad did and you knew what the Wilkes needed to be to beat him. Right. Right? So you have that advantage in what number you have to actually have to hit. Right, and I think to me, kind of one of the most incriminating pieces of circumstantial evidence you can use against Gerald in this case is the Instagram post that he made saying that he made weight at 60 kilos. Bad um, bad call. Bad call posting that. Just, uh, just bad, bad judgment there. That, uh, <laughs> especially given that he never weighed in at 132 pounds. Yeah. Uh, and he tried to give me the excuse that he was he cut so much weight that he was shaking, and that's why the scale wouldn't read. And it's like, man, I've I've been seven and six percent body fat, cutting nearly fifteen pounds to one ninety eight. Been shaking pretty bad, getting on a scale, and never is it sitting there just fluctuating four pounds at a time. I mean, sure, it'll fluctuate point uh, two, point three, point four, depending on how much you move, but it's never fluctuating pounds at a time. So it was just uh, built a bad case. Uh, against himself here between the Instagram post, um, what he's saying at the actual reasonings behind the misreads and weight were, um, you know, I do, ha- I do have the opinion, uh, that it is more than likely that Gerald Diono attempted to cheat. Yeah. And it's a shame that that happened. Um, especially when a lot of people are looking forward to watching compete. Uh, you know, the, I, I'm assuming more of this is going to develop, you know, after this episode airs, but you know what I'm going to be, this might be, my hot take or my opinion at this point i don't care i really don't care because we saw some great competition at day two minus him not being able to compete so you know i at at when he announces things be like you know what i don't give a shit at this point because we saw hunter henderson compete we saw uh blake lahue compete we saw terrific we saw mariana gasparin win all these great competitors compete on the day that you were supposed to compete and I mean, I guess if protecting the integrity of the sport would be the developing things after this, but we still got to see, you know, a, an extremely entertaining, entertaining day of lifting. Absolutely, I completely agree. Um, I, I want to start off and say, um, you know, obviously one of the single most breathtaking lifts of the entire contest, Hunter Henderson, 295 kilo, 650-pound squat, absolutely shattering the old world record by 10 kilos and doing it so, so, so effort, not effortlessly, but just made it look very, very easy. That's what happens when you're that good. You're that technically proficient and that strong. You just make the lift look pretty. 
And it was so beautiful just to even, I mean, we freak out when 165 pound dudes squat 650 pounds. I, I do unspeakable things to squat 650 pounds in my next competition. <laughs> exactly. Was, exactly. I man. was jealous watching that. I would love a 295 kilo squat. Actually, Joe sent me the projections. It's under that right now. So we got to get that. He's at 292. I'm like, let's get that up to 295 now. At least. It's crazy to see. Uh, you know, I'm watching her put up a fight um, through bench press and into the first deadlift attempts. Uh, you know, 20, 20 points behind on Wilkes. Um, thought maybe she could make it up if Mariana didn't have the greatest deadlift day, which she didn't have the greatest deadlift day, but unfortunately, neither did Hunter. So ended up 20 points behind, still giving her like a 670 freaking one or something, something insane. Mariana having a 692 or something similar, just absolutely outrageous. Um, one of my favorite points, uh, actually, Janessa Labati. Um, not really talked about a lot going into this meet, pulled an all-time world record in the 148-pound weight class and just got edged out in the last couple of deadlifts of the day by Ashley Garcia for third place overall. Yeah. Uh, I want to say f- five five or six women works over 600 points, uh, then being Mariana with 692, Hunter with 671, Ashley Garcia with 644, and then um, Janessa Labati had something like a 693 point, 636 point, 636 point look score. So that was also really awesome to see. And she was very obviously one of the most dialed in lifters on the day. I believe she went nine for nine. She went nine for nine, perfect attempt selection through the day. Huge shout out to Janessa there. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned as well, Blake Lequeux. Yeah. Blake LeHugh, that was my, I mean, I was looking at him a lot going into the meet because um, he has his roots in the USAPL, so of course, you know, it's like, uh, it's a brotherhood at that point. We got to support our former USAPL comrades, but, you know, in the weight class that I'm always going to be watching, and he always has that criticism, or he always has that cloud hanging over him of not being able to perform on meet day, or having one thing go wrong, or not being able to execute. And the dude came out and just absolutely crushed it. And every single one of his lifts, maybe aside from bench press, but even starting with squat, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Like, his second, I was, as soon as he took that walk out, I'm like, this is not going to go well. This is going to be bad. He took around 47 steps, resetting (laughs) himself to get back into position to squat. He nails it. Then I see 750 get loaded on for the third like, okay, or the, the, let's see how the walkout goes with this other one. And it was even worse. Yeah, it was, um, and he nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. I've been telling Blake for two, maybe three years, quite a few of these bigger competitions in a row, like, hey, you're so close. Like, you're just, like, you, you're just, you know, he bombed out of, um, what contest was that? He bombed out of the Pioneer Open uh, last July and then did the showdown and just hit a 325-kilo, 716-pound deadlift, you know, on his third attempt. Uh, before that was, you know, 791 total. Eight, at the showdown this year, 815 total, 752 total at the Tribune. 
Uh, just really couldn't get it together. Hadn't really put together a, a great raw total on the time that he's been doing it. Um, and, you know, finally, Blake just pieces it all together, starts kind of aligned a little bit, and the dude pulls out a 9-10 total, 20-06. And what he actually did was beat the all-time world record total that Cody Blazek holds in the yeah. half division by two and a half kilos. And John Hack holds the same total in the sleeve division. He finally separated the sleeved and wrapped division again. Yeah. Now, it's only by two and a half kilos. But, you know, Blake did some crazy things. The craziest thing to me being his bench. Like, yes, the, the walkouts were wild. They were, they were a show. To say I, the least. I'm good. I was surprised that I, as he took the squat, because I know in training he walks out everything. But as he took the squat, I'm like, he's not walking this out, right? And then I saw him take two steps back. I'm like, oh, okay, he's walking this out. Um, I, I'm like, I think maybe if you have a meet like this, he could find a gym with a monolift and just go based on that yeah. and get that and get that, uh, put maybe two and a half to five kilos on that squat. Yeah. And you know, Blake's had a, going back to the bench, Blake's had this, this slight upswing the last three meets on his bench going 402, uh, something like 418 and then, uh, 452 or something. Um, Maybe did 424 before that, but did 452 in his last meet, and then just comes in today, murders, absolutely murders, I want to say 474 Mm. or 485, one of the two, and then takes a 500-pound third-attempt bench press. (laughs) Which is, what is going on? (laughs) Malik Durston taking a 500-pound third. Malik also wilting over 606. Yeah. And what's so awesome, there's this little awesome little side story here between Malik and Blake is that when the second, not the second, but pretty much as soon as Malik left the junior USAPL, Malik was also a big USAPL competitor. As soon as he left, Blake came in and beat all Malik's records uh, in the USAPL. And so uh, both those guys have been competing for a long time. Um, Malik since 2003, Blake since 2010. Yeah. Uh, And... Uh, just really cool to see those guys still going head to head at something like the current and Blake, you know, breaking a world record that, uh, you know, Cody Bozek's record that we didn't think a lot, anybody was really well, going to be. And then just when, when Cody like, broke that record, I believe it, that was at the pioneer open, right? The tribute, the tribute it was called. The oh, tribute. Yeah. yeah. The tribute at the time. So when he broke that, you know, people were talking about that, not as much as John Hack's total that day, but he was like number two as far as stories go after that meet, and for Blake to go and top that is incredible. And um, at a meet like this, sometimes certain certain performances can be either neglected or not talked about enough. But that one stuck out to me because I mean, if Blake is listening right now, and he should be, uh, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you this right now. No one thought that you would total. What you total? I am telling. I'm telling that right now. No one thought that if I like. I am in many group chats. I talk to a lot of lifters. They were saying the same thing. He is not going to have it on deadlifts. Something is going to go wrong, and his total is going to be affected by it. If you didn't know that, Blake, now you know. And thank you for proving people wrong because that's an ama- That's a great thing in powerlifting. That's a great thing in the sport Absolutely. when you have this. When you have this label put on you for such a long time and able to go out, put it all together, and kill it is awesome. It's good for any sport, not just powerlifting. 
And I do hope, Blake, that one day I am able to also get rid of my dark cloud <laughs> that is hanging over my, my head. And, um, you know, pulling out a 782 deadlift on the first, on the second attempt, and then and then on the third going to, I believe, 8. 804. I think it went to 8, 8, 804, 816, 1 or 2, 815, I don't remember anymore. 365 or 370. What it would have done is knocked John off of the podium and given him third place, which just would have been an even wilder turn of events. Yeah. Given the, the events of the, of the first day, it's, uh, it's pretty insane to think about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, watching him was pretty incredible. Um, I, you know, let's get back to the females now, because I think, I think in, in this regard with how the, you know, the females were like turning out. You saw some really great performance. I actually want to go back to uh, something you brought up. Uh, that battle for third place there, that last pull. Um, I believe it was by Ashley Garcia. Ashley Garcia, yeah. So Ashley took her opening deadlift and it just didn't look good. Yeah, that's. It didn't, it didn't look like her other attempts of the day. And not a lot of people were talking about Ashley going into this because everybody, or Jessica for that matter, Everybody was so focused on Hunter. Even Mariana, people weren't really talking about Mariana. I would say, yeah, going into this, it kind of was the Hunter Henderson show. Absolutely. and Hunter Deservedly great, so. Hunter Henderson's yeah, a beast. Hunter had a great, great prep, and she's one of the, the you know, she's a younger lifter coming at it. And, um, you know, there were some potential, some really big things. And so nobody was even talking about Mariana either. And going into the deadlifts, uh, going into the third round of attempts on the deadlifts, was very, very obvious who was first and who was second. What wasn't obvious is who was third. There was mm-hmm. a very clear battle between Janessa, who was in flight C. She was in the third flight. She wasn't even in the the, uh, the main card flight, yeah. the primetime flight. And then you see that Ashley's opening deadlift was not great. Uh, I said it, I, I believe immediately after that, that looked really tough for Ashley Generally doesn't look like her lifts start that way. Um, saw that she made a 10 kilo or seven and a half kilo jump to the second or something and didn't think she was going to get it. Lo and behold, she doesn't get her second attempt deadlift. Yeah. And, you know, Janessa had a 636 Wilkes and um, Ashley had had a 629, so she was plenty behind. And the last four would have given her like. 15 Wilkes points. Had you, you know, the second attempt would have given her like 15 Wilkes points. So it would have put her ahead of Janessa, no problem. But now she's missed the second. And there have not been many times in powerlifting, especially in meets like this. And granted, this is probably the only time there's be things like this, is when a lifter gets murdered by a second attempt and then they come back and get it on their third. Yeah. You don't really see that in most any of the lifts often, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the deadlift. Uh, so made better work of her third than she did her first. Yeah. Uh, ended up pulling through a 644 Wilkes and uh, edging out for third. Uh, and, you know, ended up leaving with some money. It was really awesome to see. And you know what's funny, man? I go to Janessa. I go to Janessa immediately after the flight is done. And I say, hey, like, you know, I, I wish you would have gotten the money. And she was, I didn't get the money. I, I won the weight class. I won my weight class. I got $1,500. I was like, no, you were in third place. Like, overall. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Five grand. Like, Ashley had to hit her third deadlift to beat you. And she's like, oh, well, 
I mean, I didn't really care about that anyway. So I was <laughs> like, oh, thanks, Garrett. I didn't know that. Now I know it. Now I'm upset. Thanks <laughs> a lot, Garrett Fear. Somehow, but, for some reason, she just didn't even care. And I was yeah. like, awesome. Well, so I mean, I just watching that myself, because, yeah, I would admit that I wasn't um, really going into the meet focusing on that, especially not even third place, which actually at this meet, third place means a lot because you do get a pretty good cash out. But the same thing with you. I was watching the the, the live stream. Saw the first two attempts, and I was getting, you know, I was excited for it because I think I described it within the first half of this. Like, when somebody hits their third deadlift for the win, especially if they miss a second, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a last second shot in basketball. You know, it's, it's a, it's a clutch moment. And I think Stacy said on the commentary was, you know, when there's money involved and there's, there's, when there's money involved and you got the crowd around you, it's like, you find an extra win and able to break through that little sticking point at the midway part of the knee, and that's exactly what we saw. Because it was a long pull. Like, he still might be pulling. Like, it was a really long grinder pull, and I was like, uh, it looks like she's going to drop it now. No, it looks like she's finding her balance, and she was able to lock out. And, yeah, uh, that was that was, uh, that was was a huge highlight for me watching uh, the females compete was that little that battle for third place. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. Now, it is always as impressive as ever to watch Mariana Gasparian. It's – I'm trying to find a good person to compare her to. Not, not in the sense of powerlifting, just as a sports figure because she, she just, just goes does. out and fucking does it and just leaves. And is so poised and so classy and such a class act while she does it. It's it's like Fedor Emelianenko. Yeah. Fedor is a good example. Fedor's, Fedor's good. It's, it, oh my gosh, man. Once I can just walk out there. Dude, everybody's always got... The top level lifters, man, everyone's got something to say now. I don't think Mariana's squats were like to like anything super deep, but I really don't think any of her, her squats were as contentious as some people like to, to, act, to act like they were. Yeah. I, I, he does get that, he does get that uh, criticism at times. Well, I mean, whenever she competes, I think... You'll see a powerlifting meme page because uh, they have a lot of influence, right? Um, yeah. Or a or a uh, or just other people reposting. That's like, oh my god, this is what you call depth, and there's nothing glaring that her depth isn't good. Nothing glaring. I I, I agree. It's That's close, very, but very good. What, what top squatter isn't always close though? I think me and Candido had this conversation once. Like, is there like the top squatters in the world seem to kind of be on that borderline depth? Yeah, and they and they always are. That's part of it, man. When you're squatting that way, and then like people go, oh well, like some of these certain lifters aren't that close, and they're top lifters. It's like no, we're specifically talking about the top squatters. The top squatters always have some sort of contention against their lifts. Um, now, some obviously in the past have been worse than others. Kevin Oak is an anomaly. You know, Kevin yeah. always dunks the shit out of his squats. But a lot of the top squats, uh, I would say, are contentious or more on the borderline. And Chad Penson's squat, it was a good squat, but more on like the close end yeah. of things. Um, uh, you know, John, John Hack even gets the. He's, I mean, he's been red lighted too many times. Yeah, and, he, and he's not even like the top squatter in yeah. the division. So you know, that's a, when you get to that level, guys. It's not as it's, it's really not as easy <laughs> to take like seven and eight hundred pounds down as low. It's yeah. really, it's really, it is harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is harder. I, I well, I would say. I mean, I guess. I, but even when you throw wraps into the equation too, it's even harder to see depth with that. 
uh, because I was about to use Austin Perkins as an example. He's one of the top squatters I've ever seen who is always like burying his squats. It isn't very like there's one that I thought it might be a little high in his career. Like every every time in training and comp, he seems to really get his depth um, as far as like consistency goes, and he is the top squatter in that weight class. But yeah, Chad, he's wide. He is going to be on the borderline more times than not. John Hack, same thing. Um, I guess Dan Bell. I, well, people, I mean, I based on his like proportions, he to me he gets the the perfect depth. But after the hybrid, I got around five or six DMs questioning the depth of his squat, and I'm like, the guy's resting his hamstrings on his calves, like on this video. Like, I don't know what you guys want him to do. I'm like, that's that's a Ray Williams squat. I I, I agree. And some, some things are just going to look more contentious at those high levels, especially with the bigger guys. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bigger guys. Um, speaking of Hunter Henderson's deadlift, I was – man, I was I thought she was going to get that down command. I, I figured it was good officiating there. Um, on yeah, that, I'm not, I'm not getting that down command, but I was waiting for it and it never happened. Um, I was actually surprised she didn't come back and get that third. I was as well. Um, I, I guess my opinion would be that maybe she should have opened lighter. Um, I knew that 573 was her opener going into it. I know they wanted to push over six. I know they wanted to go 589 on the second to break the all-time world record. Um, so to me, making the seven and a half kilo jump from the opener to the second with the plan of the world record, I just felt like kind of wasted some energy that they could have opened lighter, maybe maybe even upwards of 10 kilos lighter, mm-hmm. and really looked at the first attempt more as a last warm-up or something, um, and built more towards the third attempt being the world record, or just overall having a bigger jump to the second attempt of the world record, because it's not like she was far off from the pole. She was right no, there. No, she was right there at lockout. I just, per- I really do think if the opener wasn't so heavy, that she would have had the second pull. Mm-hmm. I really do think that, and uh, I think that's really what would have gotten the world record for her. You said the opener was set at five seventy three. Opener was five seventy three. Second mm. attempt of world record attempt was at five eighty nine. Seven is, and a half kilo jump. That is quite high. I would have probably opened in like the five sixties range, maybe even a little yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah, maybe even lower. And that's what I was saying. Maybe even as low as two fifty was kind of where I was thinking. They opened two sixty. I was thinking maybe even as low as 250 and making a jump from 551 to 589, 17.5 kilo jump. While it's a big jump to make, yes, for a female lifter, yes. It's also pretty unique circumstances. Normal attempt calling isn't used quite as much here. Um, you know, also given that I believe Hunter's best deadlift in a meet before that um, was something like 562. I'm not quite sure. I want to say it was 562 um, or 556. 556 is what it was. So I felt like it would have made more sense to open with something that she'd at least already done in contest for more so even a level of comfortability. Mm-hmm. Opening with something like 551 and then going to, you know, maybe even 589, but, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but who's it's, what's it's about it? You know, um, the meet's already over. We can't change what the opening attempts were. Um, but yeah, very unfortunate. Really wanted to see Hunter Dunlop six hundred pounds. I really thought she was going to. Mm-hmm. I really did. Yeah, I did too. Especially uh, like the five eighty four on that second attempt moved pretty well off the ground. I, there was a sticking point there where the, the sticking point is a big decider. Um, is a big decider for me on what your RP is. 
like when she hit that sinking point at the midway part, I'm like, that looks like to be her top end today is going to be that or maybe two and a half kilos more uh, because of that, you know, midway point. Um, yeah, surprise. Yeah, surprise to see her uh, on that third attempt not being able to really get it, but probably gas at that point. Huge day for her as well. So that all those lifts accumulating probably Stop added to some fatigue. Total. And I think she totaled. I think she totaled well into the fifteen hundreds. It was something like I think she benched three twenty five. She is serious. I mean, it's like if I'm giving people someone to watch lift, it's her. Yeah, it's her. Just I like it's so brilliant on all three lifts. Yeah, somewhere around the fifteen fifty range. Nice. Yeah, so, that's somewhere around there for a total one hundred over seven hundred key total seven zero two five. Mm-hmm. 7025 is what she totaled today. Yeah. Yeah. And just insane to see. An awesome little dynamic there. Christy Hawkins judging the squats. Yeah. You know, pretty sick. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Sick. Yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome stuff. Really, only thing you'll see that in powerlifting and not other sports. Unique to our sport because a lot of the top lifters are, in fact, judges and offici- of, of, a part of the officiating crew. Um, and you know, you don't really get to see that in a whole lot of sports and that, that is pretty cool. Um, so many world records broken today, man. Yeah. It's hard to, it's kind of, because I think this happened with hybrid and some of the other meets that we do, it's when it's not a singular session that we're focusing on, um, like say a prime time or a certain weight class, like we would get raw nationals and some of the USAPL meets it's. All these records are being broken. You have like 600 Wilks all over the place, which that is ridiculous to me. Just And these high fives, like everyone's in the high fives, right? And um, it's you can't even get to all of them because of just the influx of amazing performances. Like recapping a meet like this is so hard because we could talk about all these lifters for seriously three hours um, and really have a lot to say about them. Right. And a lot of lifters that, like, I, I don't keep a track of all the lifters who compete in powerlifting. I just don't. I do have a podcast, but it's very hard for me to keep up. There, there's lifters, lifters who I just learn about, and I'm like, oh, God, this person is in the high fives, and they're Wilkes. Right. You know, so we had, I believe, John Hack still broken all-time world record with his total. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Dan Bell, obviously, break the squat world record again, 505-kilo squat. Um, we had, I believe, Sarah Schiff pulled an all-time deadlift world record. Um, I actually wasn't commentating or in the venue at the time when that took place. I don't quite remember. Um, obviously, I talked about Janessa Labati a lot, pulling yeah. that 250.5 kilo deadlift, 552 pounds um, at 148, 148 deadlift record. Hunter Henderson, obviously, with the squat total record. Uh, Blake LeHue with the new 181-pound world record. Um, I believe those are all the world records. Though. Yeah, well, I believe, I believe that was all. Yeah, we'll see if somebody wants to send us uh, all the world records. Maybe we'll make a graphic of it of like yeah. the long list on two white lines of all the world records being broken. I, I literally left the meet venue, came back to my Airbnb, and hopped on this podcast here with with Angelo to make sure that we could get this out to you guys tomorrow immediately after the uh, the current. Yeah, so I am pretty exhausted, so I apologize. I do have lots and lots of notes here, but that's – I have lots and lots of notes here. It's, it's a lot here. Yeah, yeah, and, and a meet like this, uh, it, it's – it's you're, you're going to run into that. 
One, a person that I think I caught light to, it was during the hybrid. Before the hybrid, I wasn't too uh, aware of this lifter. Chloe Lansing. Chloe, Chloe Lansing is a phenomenal, phenomenal lifter. We should talk about Chloe Lansing. Chloe Lansing was hovering just under fourth and fifth place today all day. Uh, I believe got really, really close to a 600 Wilkes at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Chloe had a freaking killer squat bench deadlift all the way through. Cool thing with Chloe that I always bring up. Uh, if you follow Chloe on Instagram, it's going to be at Chloe May. Chloe Lansing is her name. She's a go strong athlete. She trains out of the Anvil Gym in Hiawatha, Iowa. Chloe is a disabled lifter. She has a physical ailment. Uh, her right hand, uh, she doesn't have all five of her digits, and the palm of her hand is a bit misshapen. And um, she does these uh, bench press. She does, uh, she does a full power lifter. She lifts with a strap on the deadlift as well on the right hand, which she is allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just kills it. Just always smokes these meets, man. She's one of my favorite lifters to watch right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I After the hybrid, I've been keeping up with her training, and she really does She does the sport in the right way. She competes the right way. She trains the right way. And it's a pleasure watching her just, like, train and compete. And, uh, yeah, that's why, that's why it's good actually watching these live streams because – Again, there's only so much I can keep track of with these lifters. Watch a live stream. It's like, holy shit, this person's strong, and I never even heard of them prior to this meet. And now, you know, you got to keep track of them. So, uh, yeah, really excited what he's going to do in the future. Um, a person that I just always love to see compete, he's like one of my favorite people ever, uh, Ross Petkoff. Ross Petkoff is like a technician in every freaking sense of the word. Dude. And I think he's part of the KJB. Just gonna say it right there. I think the KG, part of, KGB. 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 Yeah, I think he's part of it too. Just did he? I, he did. I did. Uh, as I was leaving the parking lot today, I did pass him. He's in this like a giant Escalade. He <laughs> just like waves super super petitely towards me, dude. He, watching Ross lift, dude. God, technician really is a perfect way to describe him. Every mm-hmm. sport has their technicians, and Ross Petkov is definitely one. For some reason, never gets talked about going into these meets. People forget that he won the Kern. He I, won the Kern. It's oh, we like it's bought up a lot. It's actually like a people like repost that. I know Open Powerlifting did once too. I'm like, good. Ross is getting the credit he deserves. But yeah, he's not a person going into meets that it's going to be discussed that he's actually competing at, and it's kind of crazy, um, especially with the way he lifts too. He's he's an aesthetically pleasing lifter, and he's uh, he's just like. The coolest guy. Yeah, and he's also he also like shows up everywhere. Like I, <laughs> like he just pops up at like he was at X, the XPC meet a couple years ago in Columbus during the Arnold, and he was like he just pops up places and he's just there, just like it's like oh like Ross Petkov, like what? Telling what you, he's like on a helicopter. Being all like, he probably had like fucking sunglasses on or something. He flew in and just like took it off. He's dressed like immaculately and he just walks into a place, uh, says like seven words. All of them the coolest words. He says seven words, but they're the coolest words. And he'll leave and just like go and live this crazy rogue lifestyle. I'm creating a lot of stories in my head about how I want Ross to live. So he's like kind of like, uh, he's like a comic book character in my mind right now or a movie hero. Just. 
Um, I will say I do like the dynamic of the lightweight men being on a separate day from the heavyweight men, given as there are so many male competitors. Um, so some people, for some of them, at least some of the spectators that I saw, it was a little hard because there was no uh, infograph of the of a, of a running score sheet. Uh, you know that is it's unfortunate, but we didn't have that on the live stream. So the 148 pound class that Gerald was supposed to be competing in, he he would have most definitely won, but then it, that also ended up being. A really close contest. I believe. I believe three of the four 148 competitors all ended up wilting over 500 points, mm-hmm. and then um, Keith Coria uh, made the uh, all-time world record deadlift attempt at 165. I want to say he attempted like 771. I believe I it, was it was close to that, or a little over 750. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I think Actually, it was you know what? I'm, I don't know, maybe he'll tell me now. He's messaging me. But, um, yeah, he and there's another lifter, like, that's such a great competitor. Always that, loved watching Keith, man. Yeah, Always and he's, he's a young dude, and, you know, the dead, deadlift is legit, but also his squats were kind of just, like, immaculate as well. He just is a fantastic, fantastic lifter. Yeah, but there's just something so extra aesthetic about <laughs> Keith's deadlift. Just oh, that, yeah. Just the more grip and rip style, man. It'll always be. And then when lighter weight guys pull conventional, you know, there's just something you have to love about it. <laughs> I like seeing the bigger weight classes pull sumo and the lighter weight classes pull conventional just because it goes against, like, the normal grade of what you expect to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah I agree. I like the, also when you see just the weight comparison to the person lifting it, it looks just like he's lifting more weights if it's conventional. It, it, it really does. I, and sumo also makes makes lifters look so much shorter. So I just like it, there's this weird factor to the deadlift when 148 pound sumo puller with arms that touch the floor. It's still impressive, but there's just there's just something awesome about a lightweight lifter pulling conventional. Okay, I don't want I don't want to piss anybody off or grind anybody's gears out there. You know, speaking of a, of a, a lightweight lifter who pulls conventional, uh, Haley. Haley is so good. And she's always, like, the person... Because I've watched her compete at so many... Because she's in the Midwest, and I get to see right. her compete at a lot of he's talking about He's talking about Haley Hill, by the way. Haley Hill, yes. Um, was there two Haley's on the platform today? No, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Haley Hill, um, where she has a... She has, like, a perfect conventional deadlift. And I think a lot of times when she's competing, she gets just forgotten about and just... Every time I see her compete, it's like a complete showcase of strength yeah. and skill. You know, when you're... <laughs> people don't understand, man. Consistently competing at high-level meets when you are, like, not the star of the show, when you're not, like, the strongest one there. Like, being the bottom end at these high-level meets for years, is it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to maintain. You know, we see so many people come into these high-level meets and just do one or two, and then you never see them ever again. Haley's been around for a while competing in these contests and has continually improved on her total, and I do completely expect to see Haley on one of these podiums one day. Yeah. Uh, Haley is awesome. Yeah. Haley is awesome. Yeah. Awesome lifter. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, she does get that podium at Power Surge. She does find it there uh, quite a bit, actually. So, Absolutely. Dominant um, lift through the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's usually when I get to see her compete is Power Surge or any other meet in the Midwest, and uh, he's always a pleasure to watch. 
I agree. I absolutely agree. All right. Well, you know what? That's, you know, I guess with day two, encompassing it, because you mentioned with day one, with the judging and the officiating maybe being a little inconsistent, how did you feel about the judging on day two? Because from my perspective, just watching it, it looked it looked a lot more strict. Doesn't it always necessar- it doesn't strict. necessarily mean good, but it looked a lot more strict. But a usually strict. it means good. A lot more strict, a lot more consistent, a little more spot on with the calls. Again, with this many rap squatters, it's always going to be contested like like contentious squats. Always, always, always. Mm-hmm. Um, but there weren't the same types of issues we had yesterday, problems on bench or problems on deadlift with lockouts and things like that, or as blatant errors on squat, a lot of two to ones this time around, even mm-hmm. two to ones back and forth, two to ones. Um, so, uh, much, much more satisfied with the way things went today. I still think, still think there's some work that the WRPF crew out here in California can do in terms of improving their consistency, uh, in that standard. Uh, but overall, much improved, much improved from last year as well. Um, and, uh, you know, given that, you know, it used to be all of the big meets were in California, and now this is the only one, uh, you know, I think the current has really made it very obvious that they're going to be here for a while. Uh, that was the fifth year, sixth calendar year, fifth year of the event, given as it was canceled in COVID. And, uh, you know, they improve every year. I completely expect the meet to be a super a, a contest for all superstars in the sport. Uh, you know, in the coming half decade, you know, it's going to be really crazy to see something like the tenth annual current U.S. Open. Oh yeah, we need to start uh, numbering these things like UFC did. They still do it, but it was cooler when it was like UFC seven. Well, that was current five. Yeah, they do. They got to put it. They got to put it on there. Current five. That's what they did with rum. There was like rum one, rum two, rum three, one four. Pretty insane. Stop but, yeah. Overall, yes, Angelo, much more satisfied with the judging today. I concur with that. Your previous statement of uh, looked more strict on the day. Definitely more strict. Not perfect yet. Can, can I ask you this, same. though? Because there's a lot of lifters who compete at the Kern. Like, it's not it's not one session, you know? Right. Have you, and you've been, to, uh, you've been a part of a lot more meets than I have. Have you seen a meet with a ton of lifters, like four flights, be be consistent throughout the entire day? Because I I just it's a lot of lifters, and it's and you had to have to shift judges in and out throughout the day, right? I haven't seen a meet where like nobody bitches about an attempt. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's never existed on either end of that. Saying somebody should have gotten a lift or shouldn't have gotten a lift, I've never seen a meet where that hasn't happened. Ever in my life. Um, I guess the general answer to you is there is at least usually <laughs> consistency in the consistencies themselves, uh, or there are, you know, or, or however I'm supposed to be wording it. Um, it's just typically we don't see meets as consistent as the current has been, especially for being the high quality meat it is. Um, I, I guess to answer your question, no. I've never seen a meat that's 100% consistent all the way through. Well, I. 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think, like, with a, I think I have, but it's with, like, a low volume of lifters. And that's yeah, where you get, like, yeah. oh, it's consistent. It's like, well, it's very easy to be consistent when you're only judging 22 lifters. Like, what we're seeing with right. new USAPL meets with the COVID regulations. Like, right. no one, no one's bitching about the judging now because they only get 45 lifters to judge. Yeah. So the, right. the calls are relatively consistent. 
But like, it's, it's a, easy for six judges to be consistent for twenty-two lifters versus seven judges being consistent for, uh, you know, ninety lifters over two days. Yeah, and I mean, like with like raw nationals, when they they talk about the inconsistency in judging, and they say like, why was it judging like this from the prime time session to this session? It's like you're talking about a, a completely different set of judges. Like right. it's a thousand lifter meet, and you're talking about. I have nine to twelve different judges that you could be getting on platform to platform. Actually, more that's than that, like twenty. So that's a good topic of conversation: is should we be rotating judges, or should the judges always be in their same chairs? I, I guess that's a that would be a big change to powerlifting. Referees have always been rotated in and out. I've always done this. You know, I wonder what would be the better avenue for referees to have. I just think but with a big meet like that and watching all those lifters, I just don't like the idea of the judges staying on the platform that long. It's just that's that's I mean, a that, long day for Do judges. they swap out refs in like the NFL? No, they don't. But NFL games will last eight hours. Uh they they don't. But I, I don't I don't remember. It's, I not, it's not like I'm, a tired thing. It's just like focused kind of thing. Right. I think there's, but there's also like changes to powerlifting that need to happen. You know, um, we can, you know more meets being done in session lifts where we have a set of referees for this session and a set of referees for another session or whatever, or at least you know x amount of flights do have the same referees. I think there's a way to get closer to that. Yeah, I do think there's a way to get closer. To that. Sorry for the tangent. It was just an interesting question. No, I mean, that's that's kind of, I mean, I just want to know that because I think when people throw out, uh, like, occasional criticism, it's like, well, have we really seen a super consistent meet with, say, 150 lifters? Um, right. And it's hard to. It's hard to be consistent with that. And there are ways around it aside from, I think, you know, that different session, you know, like one flight certain, or yep. timing of the thing. Then you could actually have, because I would prefer one, the same gr- group of judges being on the platform at all times. I would prefer that. I'm just like, that's a tough ask for eight hours of the day with certain certain meets. Five hours could, even is pretty long. Yeah, it, it, it could be tough, but it also could be, I don't know, might not be that bad. Yep. Might not be. I guess that's something we'll have to play with later. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, you give me some of your closing thoughts on the weekend so far. Maybe some of your um, like just all-encompassing view of how the weekend turned out. Um, I think the Kern has been able to get a higher rating every year, mm-hmm. consistently. Um, this year, if I had to rate the Kern, um, you know, I'd give the Kern a, a solid seven and a half, maybe been eight out of ten this year. Um, you know, Gracie put a, a lot of kind of new, more out there ideas to the test this year, giving the meat, the meat more of like a nightlife uh, spectacle nightclub type of feel to it. Um, I personally liked it. I liked the things like the fireworks and the types of lights they had there. It wasn't like those weird multicolored spinning disco balls. Um, there was the use of the fog machine, which I was iffy about. They didn't overdo it. I did not like the ring girls portion of it. Wasn't a fan of that. Um, I don't think it's the sport for it, though I do like that they put it to the test. Um, I think the refereeing got more consistent as the day went and was considerably better than last year. Um, and obviously, you know, powerlifting changing constantly is mm-hmm. always going to be awesome. 
you know, just to touch again, Chad Penson coming away and winning it for the men and Mariana Gasparian winning it for the women. Uh, just, I don't think it was, you know, the, the, on the men's end, the result most people expected to see. And I think that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm overall very happy with it. I'm very excited about my first experience commentating. And I hope I did a, a good enough job for the people out there. Um, you know, I'll be getting feedback for the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. And uh, both good and bad. Uh, I, uh, some people on Reddit wanted to tear into me a little bit. so Don't uh, don't even go on Powerlifting Reddit. Uh, don't. don't even go on Powerlifting uh, Reddit. I know Powerlifting Reddit is toxic as hell. I, I, what I'm just saying. <laughs> I got, sent, I got <laughs> sent to Powerlifting Reddit about me that I I wasn't willing to help in a warm-up room while I was competing. And I was like, one, yes, I, or I didn't allow people to work in with me or something. I'm like, no, I, I did. I, I definitely did that. But I'm like, I'm not going to comment on powerlifting Reddit ever. <laughs> right. I won't. I won't. But now the beauty is I will take some of what these some of these people are trying to troll me with and see that whatever truth does lie in it. And I will improve on those things. You know, obviously having to commentate for the showdown this year, hopefully having a full-time commentation partner for the event we'll see how that goes uh and yeah i mean i'm, I'm pretty satisfied with things um i think overall you know just kind of want to leave with the message again of thank your spotters and loaders and thank your meat directors yeah absolutely um and i and i would agree with you i thought the meat was excellent just based on live stream standpoint um i think the improvements have been made on the current uh side for the past five years, it's been progressively getting better. I think any criticism that it's been getting has been addressed and made better. So it's, um, I think it solidified itself as powerlifting's one of the powerlifting's premier meets of the year on the uh, untested side, which it's cool. It's like you always need that that pinnacle meet or that uh, that cornerstone meet that people look forward to, and I think it's definitely solidified that um, into that. Uh, realm of just a meet that everyone knows, recognizes, and wants to compete at. So, um, absolutely, yes. Uh, thank you for coming on the show again. You are an unofficial co-host at this point. This is uh, <laughs> this is uh, this has got to be. I think your fourth appearance on Two White Light. So you're definitely at the uh, unofficial co-host. <laughs> we'll get you like a, a, a plaque or an emblem or like a T-shirt of. The uh, all the unofficial co-hosts that we got to make one just separately for you guys. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, I appreciate your kind words about my commentating, and um, you, you know, your you wanting to bring this type of information and this presentation of information to the people of powerlifting about all of the events. You know, you're not on any particular side other than that of powerlifting, and that's one thing I really do admire about you, Angelo. Ah, oh, thanks, man. You know what? I'm very excited to be able to commentate the Hoosier Cup that's happening soon. Absolutely, yeah. it's gonna be it's <laughs> gonna be a blast. I did didn't didn't get the women sold out at all. Only got about half of the spots actually full. Had a couple of dropouts. Only had about half the spots actually fill up. Unfortunate, but we will see an awesome day regardless on both ends of that. And I'm very very excited for yes, it. Yes, I am too. I'm very excited to see what you've done. Uh, you know, I was very impressed and with the Circle City Super, and I can only imagine a meet getting better from there, uh, especially with you running it. So, Thank you very much, Angelo. I appreciate it, and I cannot wait to be on the show again. All right, yeah, and you definitely will, because, again, you are 
unofficial co-host, so you have to come on whenever I request. So, of course. So that will do it for this episode of Two White Lights on Wednesday. Get excited. We have the president of the USAPL joining us to talk a little USAPL relationship with the IPF. See you guys Wednesday. Peace.